No sin is so great, no bitterness so deep, that God's grace cannot transform the heart and rewrite the story. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. Grace is hard for us to understand sometimes. It doesn't make sense and it's really not fair. In reality, nothing is more difficult to explain than God's grace. Maybe the best way is just to experience it. Join us as we explore that experience. All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Glad you guys are here. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're online. Just going to see if our camera guy's paying attention right now. I'm just going to move over here. Hopefully, I'm still on the screen for those of you that are online. If not, wake up, Scotty. So uh, we are in the second week of our series, Grace is Greater. And uh, I think we can all agree that our world is desperately in need of God's grace. Our world is desperately in need of of people receiving God's grace, but then also extending grace towards others. Uh, One of the resources that Pastor Rob and I are using during this sermon series on on Grace is Greater is this book by Kyle Eidelman. And uh, I really would recommend it if you guys are interested in digging in a little deeper and reading a little more about what we've been, what we're talked about last week and we're going to continue to talk about. Um, You know, any book, any good book on the subject of grace is going to make you squirm a little bit, okay? Because, you know, we're we're comfortable with God's grace, you know, and we want to accept God's grace or we want to believe in God's grace. But then when it comes to the latter part of the book where it's talking about our need to extend grace towards others, it gets a little uncomfortable, And so I just encourage you guys to pick this book up. I don't know Kyle Adelman at all. Uh, He wouldn't know me if I walked past him on the street, so I'm not getting paid to say this, but you can find this book for 11 bucks on Amazon, okay? And so I would encourage you to to do that. And so first book of the Bible is Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and it tells us about the creation of the world. And then as you get into chapter 2, you begin to hear about, about what happened with Adam and Eve and the creation of Adam and Eve and how God created everything out of nothing. And then Genesis 2, verse 18 says, It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And we actually talked about this passage several months ago. But later on in chapter 2, verse 21, it says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now pay attention to this verse. Really, I want you to pay attention to the second half of this verse. Some of you are going to get stuck on the first part. But anyways, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Adam and Eve, they were both naked, and they felt no shame. Again, I don't want to focus on the naked part. I want to focus on the no shame part. Why was it that they were able to live without shame? The reason they were able to live without shame is because, you know, at this point, they hadn't sinned. They hadn't done anything wrong. And so there wasn't any shame. They hadn't sinned. But then, eventually, they did sin. They noticed that they were naked, and they felt guilt and shame. Now, most of us wear clothes at the appropriate times. 
So as I look around the room, I would just say, keep your shirts on. Okay, that's good. Okay, but that last part of that verse, I really want you to notice this idea of, of not living with shame. Because, you know, we sin and we feel bad. Well, at least we should feel bad when we sin. You know, we should feel some guilt and a little bit of shame when we sin. In some ways, that's a good sign. I worry about people that can do the things that they know are wrong and don't feel bad about it. Like, that's when you know a person's really in trouble, is when they can do what is wrong and they know it's wrong and they don't feel bad about it. But none of us wants to feel shame. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and goes, well, I'd like to feel shame today. I just don't think that's the way we are. So many years ago, I used to be the youth pastor here at the church, working with our teenagers. And um, one night I was at home, and I remember I was cooking a tri-tip. It was going to be delicious. Uh, but I got a call from a family who was having problems with one of their sons. Actually, one of the, they only had one son. So anyway, they were having problems with their son. And they were like, Pastor John, can you come and talk to him? He, he, he doesn't want to go to church anymore. He tells us he doesn't believe in God anymore. And, and so I'm like, well, yes, I can. And so I left the tri-tip and my family to eat it. And uh, I, I met up with him at what was my normal meeting place at the time, Carl's Jr. And so him and I got together and we talked. I, I knew this young guy for a long time. I knew his parents for a long time. And after my, uh, my conversation with him, this was my assessment of what was going on in his life. You know, like I said, he had grown up in the church. And so whether he liked it or not, he knew the difference between right and wrong. Like, because he'd grown up in the church, he knew the difference between right and wrong. And you know what? He wanted to be able to do the wrong things, but he didn't want to feel bad about doing them. And so he knew, and I, listen, what God says is right and God says is wrong isn't changing, okay? He knew that God wasn't going to change his opinion. So what did he have to do? He had to decide that God wasn't real. And so that's what he started saying. No, I don't believe in God. When in reality, what it is, he just wanted to be able to do what he wanted to do without feeling bad about it. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people. And I, I, over the years, I, I've lost contact with that family. I don't know what he's doing now, but I guarantee you, he hasn't outrun that guilt and that shame because he still knows what is right and what is wrong. And the reality is we all understand because we're all sinners. You know, even when I'm not trying hard, I sin and feel bad. But then even when I am trying hard, like even when I'm giving it my very best shot and I'm so focused, guess what? I still blow it. I still blow it all the time. And I feel bad about that. And that's why this subject of grace is so important. You know, our main passage this morning comes out of John chapter 4. And I love the gospel of John. Now, when I was a child, it was because it was the same name as me. As I got older, I think I matured a little bit. Okay, but I still love the gospel of John because all throughout the gospel of John, you read about these encounters that people had with Jesus. Okay, you read about it in the other gospels too, but not quite as much. You read about these experiences people had with Jesus. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, very similar. They tell the story of Jesus in a very similar pattern. The Gospel of John has got quite a few uh, unique stories about Jesus in it. And it's all about these people having these experiences with Jesus and either coming to faith in him or not coming to faith in him. And so today we're going to look at one of those unique stories in John chapter 4. It starts in verse 1. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. 
Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back, to, back once more to Galilee. Now we had to go through Samaria. Now, first four may not seem very significant, but I want us to hang out there for a second. Now we had to go through Samaria. If you don't know the, the geography of the time, Judea and Galilee were separated by Samaria. And, and around 700 B.C., the Assyrians had captured the northern kingdom and taken over the land, and they exiled the Jews that were living there. And so they exiled those people, and there was still a remnant of Jewish people living there. And over the course of time, that remnant had, had intermarried with Assyrians and with other people in the area, which, if you know, was forbidden for the Jewish people to do that. That was not what God wanted them to do. It was an unforgivable act by them for doing this. And so you kind of have this altered version of their faith that begins to develop in that area. And so by the time of Jesus, there's quite a bit of tension between Jews and Samaritans. They don't get along. They don't like each other. Okay? That's why. Like sometimes you read your Bible, and if you don't know the backstory, you don't understand why some of the things are said. Like when Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan, that's why it's such an offensive story to those that were listening to him. He's talking to a bunch of Jewish people, and he's telling them he's making this Samaritan the hero of the story. Okay? They're listening to the story. And they're like, no, 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 no. That Samaritan wouldn't be the hero of any story. And yet that's what Jesus said. You know, it would be completely crazy to the ears of those that are listening to him. Um, and, and so in this section it says, now we had to go through Samaria. And so like I said, Samaria was in the middle. And, and I've read for many years, okay, that they, they basically say a good Jew would never walk through Samaria. And so it didn't matter if they were going north or they were going south. They would cross over the Jordan River go down or go up, and then enter back into the land to avoid Samaria. Now, that would add like twice as much time to the trip if you're walking, okay? And, and, and so, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he had to go through Samaria. Or maybe as I look at this story, I think it's possible that Jesus just had a divine appointment with this woman set up. He had a meeting set up set up by his own father, that there was supposed to be a divine encounter. This wasn't an accident. And like I said, you read about these encounters with Jesus all throughout the Gospel of John. If you look at the Gospel of John chapter 3, you have Jesus meeting this guy named Nicodemus, who's on the other end of the religious spectrum. He is a religious leader, and he comes to Jesus, and Jesus didn't have this conversation. He has no idea what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is kind of like, wait, wait, you're one of the religious leaders and you don't know what I'm talking about? Boy, they're in trouble, okay? And so he has all these times, he has all these encounters, and yet Jesus has this encounter with this woman. And as I look at it, I think to myself, you know what, Jesus, he may not have went out of his way, but Jesus went out of his way to offer this woman grace. Grace chased this woman down. And I can't say with 100% certainty, but I think that's why Jesus went through Samaria. And I think today Jesus is still trying to chase some of us down to offer us grace today. And I think he will do whatever it takes. He'll do whatever it takes to get us to listen. He'll do whatever it takes to chase us down, even if it means going straight through Samaria. Let's continue in John chapter 4. 
He says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his, to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was noon, about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So Jesus is here. He's sitting by this well. And the thing that I want us to notice here is this. You know, there's lots of things that divide people in this world. Jesus doesn't care about any of the barriers that keep people apart. He doesn't care about any of the things that separate us as people. Um, And I already mentioned it with the Jews and the Samaritans. But I want to emphasize this again. Jesus never cared or paid attention to the things that kept people apart. If you weren't the right race, Jesus still loved you. Okay, if you weren't the right gender, Jesus still loved you and chased you down. If you weren't from the right socioeconomic background, Jesus still loved you. If you didn't have the right kind of health situation, Jesus still loved you. As a matter of fact, as you go throughout the Gospels, it seems to me like Jesus' favorite people were all the people that were on the wrong side of society in that moment. Okay, He, he didn't, I don't know, I, sometimes I wonder, on a Sunday morning if Jesus came down, would he come to church? Or would he go to a homeless encampment? Okay, because as you read through the Gospels, Jesus hangs out with all the wrong people in all the wrong places at all the wrong times. He doesn't care about the barriers that separate us as people. And I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but I just feel like we live in such divided times. People are so angry. People are so upset. There's always something going on. Jesus has the answer for that. Jesus is the answer for that. So my, my wife went and visited our youngest son this weekend up in Tulare. And so whenever uh, I am home by myself, it's a great opportunity for one of two things. Number one, I either go to a restaurant that my entire family hates, and so I don't ever get to go there. And so I might pick a place that, my, that nobody in my family wants to go. I'll do that. Or number two, I'll go to a place that my family loves, and I'll take pictures while I'm eating there, okay? Um, And I'm a little bit of an ornery person, if you might know this, so number two happens a lot. So on Friday night, I was at a place that my family loves. I went to Stonefire Grill over here in West Hills, okay? My family loves eating there. I'm like, all right, whatever, but I'm like, I'm going there, okay? And so I would have normally taken pictures, but I got distracted, you see, as I got through the doors, and if you've ever been to that, that door, it's like, those things are like 9,000 pounds. They're not easy to open, okay? So you can't go through those doors quietly. So I'm standing in line, minding my own business, and I hear a, a group of people come in behind me, and I can hear that they're arguing. So now, they're not arguing loudly, but loudly enough for me to be able to tell that they're arguing. And I, I don't know who it is, and, and I, normally I mind my own business better than this, But in the moment, I I just instinctively went like this to look back, and I think they realized how loud they were being, you know? And and so I felt bad that I even looked back, but it it ended up being a, it was a a young girl, she was probably in her 20s, her mother and her grandmother. They were all there, and they were sitting there bickering, okay, as they're standing in line. And I'm like, whoo boy, okay. So anyway, so I ordered my food, 
I go find like a corner of the restaurant to sit down and I'm going to enjoy my nice quiet meal. And as I set my plate down on this table and I sit down, the girl sits at a table right across from me. I mean, like literally, I couldn't help but look at the table that they were sitting at now. Okay? And so all through my dinner, I heard them bicker with each other. This is why I didn't have any time to take pictures. Okay? I just was so distracted by this. And, and luckily for me, they weren't very loud. I wasn't trying to listen. Now, some of you would have been like this, been like, trying to listen. I didn't want to hear. I didn't want to know what was going on. I didn't want to know what the story was. But the truth is, I couldn't help but think about this morning as I listened to them bicker. Because I thought, you know what? I don't know who's right. I don't know who's wrong. As I looked at the three of them, I thought, maybe they're all wrong. Okay? But I didn't know who was right and who was wrong. But what they needed was some grace. What they needed was some forgiveness. What they needed was some love. And they weren't offering it to each other. And and so as I think about it this morning, we live in such divided times. But as a church, you and I, we ought to be different. We ought to be different than what's going on with the rest of the world. You know, we, you know, Pastor Rob will talk about this quite a bit. But you know what? We shouldn't be the ones putting stuff on social media that's causing more division, causing more hate, causing more strife. We ought to be the ones that are putting stuff on there that, well, that are encouraging and loving and gracious. And if people take that the wrong way, then deal with it. Okay? Anyway, moving on. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 10. Verse 10 says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank it from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He's offering her something incredible. She doesn't quite understand it. She's still thinking about physical water. He's offering something even more spiritual. Jesus wanted to give her, and he wants to give us, something we can't find anywhere else in the world. He's having this strange conversation with this woman that she only partially understands because they both came to the well looking for water, but Jesus is talking about something far greater, something that is not temporary, that will, that will not just temporarily quench her thirst. She doesn't understand what Jesus is offering. Just like in John chapter 3 when Jesus spoke with Nicodemus, Nicodemus had no idea what Jesus was talking about. He didn't understand what Jesus was offering. Like I said, they're at the two ends of the spectrum religiously. Neither of them understood. Jesus and the grace that comes from him is offering us so much better than a little quenching of our thirst. He's offering us grace. He's offering us mercy. He's offering us peace. He's offering us hope. He's offering us up these things that will last for eternity And yet sometimes we're confused just like this Samaritan woman is. We look for the temporary satisfaction that might come from people, places, and things. And yet God wants to offer us something that's eternal. 
So going into verse 16, he says, listen, he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. You know, as we talk about grace, Jesus is offering us grace and he's offering us grace abundantly. But what he isn't offering us is cheap grace. Okay, he's offering us grace, but what he isn't offering us is cheap grace. Uh, in his book, Grace is Greater, Kyle Adamus says this. says, this is hard, and I know we want to find another way, but here's the truth. Before we collide with the grace of God, we must collide with the truth of our sin. Before we collide with the grace of God, we must collide with the truth of our sin. Jesus is offering her this living water that will last forever. Jesus is offering you and me this living water that will last forever. In order to receive that grace, in order to receive that gift, we have to acknowledge that we need it. We have to understand that we need it. God doesn't expect or God doesn't, isn't okay with us taking his grace and then staying the same people that we were. He wants us to change. He wants us to do something different. He expects us to follow his plan for our life, not continue to go down our path. That's why it's so important for us as Christians to be spending time reading our Bibles. How do you know what God's will is? How do you know what God's plan is if you aren't spending time in God's word? If you have children... Listen, there is nothing more important than teaching your kids about the Bible. Teaching your kids, spending time reading the Bible with your children. Training your child in the way they should go. Why? So later on they won't depart. Okay? I, I can't emphasize enough how important that is. As we learn about grace and we study grace in our own lives, to be also passing that down to the next generation so that they understand it so that they know what God's word has to say. This woman had been married five times, and the man she was then with, was with at that time wasn't her husband. And yet that doesn't stop Jesus from offering her that living water. Jesus is still offering her that living water. All she needs to be willing to do, I believe, is repent to change her behavior. Sometimes we sit around and we think, oh, I'm so bad. I've done so many rotten things. If everybody knew all that I've done. Okay, if I, or you ever heard people say, oh, if I ever walk into church, the building's going to fall over. Guess what? To all those people, somebody worse is sitting here today already, and the building seems fine. Okay? God is, God is not out there waiting to bust us. He's out there wanting to love us. And so as sinners, so often we try to run away from God. And we believe that God is chasing us because we think God is chasing us because he wants to punish us. But that isn't true at all. The reality is God is not chasing us to punish us. God is chasing us to give us something that we could never afford and something we certainly don't deserve. Like the father in the story of the prodigal son. Jesus tells this story and the father's sitting there. He's waiting. He's watching. He's looking for his son to come back. That's how I picture God. He's not sitting there on the porch waiting for us to come back so he can bust us. He, he's sitting there on the porch looking at us, waiting so he can throw a party because he's so excited that we've come home. 
Again, in Cal Adaman's book, he wrote this, and it might be one of the most, for me at least, the most important paragraphs that he wrote. He says, the worst thing that could happen is that you spend your life trying to outrun God because you think he's chasing you to collect what you owe, when he's really chasing you to give you what you could never afford. Let me read that again. So the worst thing that could happen is that you spend your life trying to outrun God because you think he's chasing you to collect what you owe when he's really chasing you to give you what you could never afford. God's grace isn't cheap. Jesus paid for it with his life. But God isn't chasing you and he isn't chasing me to punish me. He's chasing us because he loves us. Just like Jesus had this appointment with a Samaritan woman, he had that appointment not because he wanted to judge her and look down on her. He had that appointment because he loved her. And he wanted her to know him. Let's go to verse 19. It says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. He ain't mentioned any words there. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know, now listen, these are two key verses here. I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then, declared, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, I don't have enough time to really go into this point very much, but Jesus speaks clearly to her about who he is. Here's this woman who's been married five times, who's with somebody else now, and Jesus clearly says, I am the one. I am the Messiah. Let me encourage you guys. Read your Gospels. That isn't the way Jesus spoke with anybody else. Jesus doesn't say that to anyone. Like Jesus says things that make us think he's the Messiah. Other people say things that that refer to him as being the Messiah. But you don't ever hear Jesus speaking so clearly about him being the Messiah. It's it's truly to me just a crazy passage of scripture. Because out of all the people that Jesus could have chosen to reveal the truth to, that he could have spoken clearly to, we have this Samaritan woman who he meets at the well in the middle of the day. And he speaks clearly to her. I'm not saying he didn't do it with other people, but in the Gospels you don't read it until you get to the very end as he's standing before the Sanhedrin and they ask him if he's the Messiah and he basically says something like, I am. But aside from that, you don't read anything like this. And what I want to finish on this morning is this, because that's a beautiful story, but I want to finish on what happens in a few verses later in the chapter because it tells you the power of grace. So in verse 28, says, and leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Go to verse 39 now. says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Jesus has one divine appointment with this woman, and now many of the Samaritans in this town put their faith in him because of one conversation that he had. 
He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. These are the Samaritans, and they're encouraging him and asking him and begging him to stay. Quite often in Scripture, you read about people encouraging Jesus to leave. Okay, people not being happy with the Apostle Paul, wanting him to go. And you hear these Samaritans urging Jesus to stay, and he does. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. One person changed by grace changed this whole town. Okay, one person changed by grace brought Jesus. To, now, he, she literally brought Jesus to all of them, okay? But what an incredible story that is. Because you think about the impact that one person could have on an area. Many of them believed. They urged Jesus to stay. More came to faith. This story ends, like I said, with these people encouraging him to stay longer. She experienced grace, and she couldn't help but share it with others. I imagine if all of us as Christians who have experienced God's grace shared it so freely with others like she did. Instead of hoarding it to ourselves, instead of being afraid, instead of keeping it to ourselves, what if we all shared the good news of Jesus with the people around us? Remember in Genesis chapter 2 at the beginning, when we understand God's grace, when we accept God's grace, when we use God's grace as our motivation to avoid sin, okay, see, Guilt and shame will only last for so long. The reason why we are to do the things we do, the reason why we should do the things that we do as Christians isn't because we feel bad. We ought to do them out of our response, a loving response to God's grace. Like if, if, as a pastor, if I try to shame you into doing something, that's only going to last a little while, and that shouldn't be how you are motivated anyways. We ought to be motivated because of what God has done for us how richly he has blessed us. That ought to be what motivates us. I don't come to church because I'm afraid Pastor Rob is gonna, is gonna yell at me if I don't. Well, I mean, it's my job, so I would be here anyway. But, but we come, why? Because this is where God wants us to be. And this is where we wanna come so we can experience God in the family of God together. As we finish, I, I wanna encourage us to do three things. Number one, I want us to accept God's grace. Some of you are sitting here today or you're watching online and you're like, I don't know about this. I want to encourage you to allow God's grace into your life and allow him to get rid of that guilt and shame that's eating you up. Accept God's grace. Number two, if you've accepted that grace, I want to encourage you to be like this Samaritan woman and tell others about that grace that you've experienced. But then third, the thing that might be the most difficult, and, and I hope Pastor Rob is going to talk about this some more because I don't have enough time. But in our lives, many of us have been wronged by other people. And we have lots of pain. Some are, some are very minor. Some are very major. And I don't want to make light of any of those things. But as Christians, you and I, we need to learn to extend grace in our lives, even to those that have hurt us whether they deserve it or not, whether we like it or not, because that's who God is. And I know that that's hard, um, but I think that's who God has called us to be. Let's pray together.
Father, I thank you so much for this story. I thank you for that woman who made a lot of poor choices before coming to Jesus. And I'm sure she made some more poor choices after coming to Jesus, just like the rest of us do. And yet I thank you for her example. I thank you that you are chasing us, not to punish us, but you are chasing us because you want to shower us with your grace and shower us with your love. And Lord, I pray you would help us to become your ambassadors of that grace to our world that is so desperately in need of it. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day.